Hey, everybody. Good afternoon. I'm Will Leverson, and this is Sports Spot Weekly. Today's episode is How the West Was Won. And we're uh, talking a little future present tense when it comes down uh, to this. This is our preview of the Western Conference playoff teams there. And although last week we did a a sort of a quick overview of a few of the teams is a little bit more expansive there, where admittedly the team that we've left out here are the Clippers um, because we had already sort of covered them last week. So this will be a more of a little bit of a focus there. We're going to take uh, and we're going to break them down into three brackets, really, and brackets of not um, standing wise, but based off of the likelihood of winning the Western Conference and advancing on to the finals. And so our first group uh, here that we're looking at are our best in the West. And right now, those two teams are the Sacramento Kings and Denver Nuggets, respectively. Once again, that's not an order of standings or importance as much of it is just presentation (laughs) and for the uh, prerogative here of doing the show. So we're going to take a look here at the Kings first, who the Kings are our rising Skywalkers, or also known as our New Hopes. And that is a team that's rising um, to the occasion of you know, leveraging their roster, their, their young talent, and their talent uh, being able to play well for each other and will that team into the second, at least in the standings here, in the win and loss columns. Um, and certainly there are some other statistical-based stuff there that the Denver team is the better team out of these two best in the West between Denver and the Kings, respectively. But the Kings are on a upward trajectory. They deserve to have... Uh, I mean, out of, out of the West, the, uh, this team, they have outshined... This year, this is not just catching some new steam or headed into uh, you know a potential playoff run by you know by winning out some games here. But right now, they're the best in the standings in the win loss columns in the West. Although they don't have any players in the top fifty uh, of defensive players here in the league, their offensive efficiency. The Kings are the second. In points per game in the league, uh, they're fourth in assist per game. So they shoot the ball. Uh, at least they score relatively well, and they're moving the ball around. Now the two top producers in assists for that team are are De'Aaron Fox and um, and and Demonis Sabonis, respectively. Um, I, I think. Demonis gets almost about seven, well, seven percent, I think 6.9 assists per game there. So he produces well from that center position, which when you get down into some of the other, and their second and field goal percentage there. The thing about the Kings is that despite their recent success and building off of that roster, they don't have um, defenders who are once again we talk about the top 50 defenders in the league the reason why there's you know there's 30 some odd teams so that puts it to roughly maybe depending on what how you know the the teams i mean there are certain teams like the grizzlies who like all most their starters 
or at least key rotational players are in the top 10 when it comes down to uh, defense. So defense matters. Um, It matters how you stop the other teams from scoring. And right now, the Kings are really good at putting the ball in the bucket, really good at moving the ball around on that team. Uh, But defensively, they don't have anyone that's in the top 50 um, there. So that means that when you're going against and you're talking about the playoffs and the potential win in teams that, you know, when we talk about dangerous or, or, or having potential, defense does matter. So that's why I can't put the Kings up on, you know, something where I'm saying that as far as playing a lesser team, what it means coming down to preventing that team from scoring, you put anyone up against a marquee defense and their efficiency is going to drop at least their scoring ability. We saw that happen with Nikola Jokic, even in the uh, 2020 Western Conference playoffs and then finals where his average points, his production went down when he was facing a top defensive team like the LA Lakers. So that's going to happen even to prohibitive perennial contenders for MVP when it comes down to Kola Jokic, you put some defense on them, some some good defense, and, 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 and usually that'll work out better for the other team. So I just can't see the Kings making that deep of a run, but it is a good success story for their team if they're able to build off this. And boy, if there was ever a team, and we'll, we'll get to Memphis here in a second, but watch that, uh, that Grizzlies and, and Timberwolves game. Um, I'm sorry, Grizzlies, <laughs> Grizzlies, Grizzlies and Mavs game last night here. And I got to tell you, it's not the absence of John Morant and how uh, they're a defensive team. And they, they have with with job ja being out, John ja is the lowest rated defender on that starting lineup. They have three other guys there in the top. Top 10 uh, there. Like I said, Ja is actually the ninth best defender here, at least this year in the league. The top best defender is Jaron Jackson Jr., which even despite his shooting woes, his defensive presence, you could even see it there in that Mavericks game. I mean, the Mavs did not have Kyrie Irving nor Luka Doncic, who were able to put some scoring and shooting pressure on that Grizzlies um, defense. But it's just the fact that even with poor shooting, that defensive presence that defensive ability is what keeps the Grizzlies in any sort of contention to either make the playoffs. It's why they're not, you know, when you talk about teams that are good in points and, 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 and field goal percentage and stuff, that's why Denver is the best team uh, out there in the West right now. They have the prohibitive uh, MVP in Nikola Jokic, a multiple time winning MVP, even at this point before winning either a third consecutive or or another MVP title, Nikola Jokic, one of the top players in the league. And they also have a decent supporting cast that has played, uh, played together. They have Aaron Gordon and Jamal Murray there, uh, even though KCP is a newer addition there to the team. Uh, KCP, Nikola Jokic, and Aaron Gordon respectively are in the top 50 in defense so you're seeing where defense is translating to playability, ability to win in a Western Conference that is widely recognized as having, you know, marquee uh, offensive uh, teams. There are some of the greater shooters when it comes down to those folks on Golden State between Clay Thompson and Steph, Steph and Curry there, respectively. So the Kings, they have some upward trajectory 
They have performed well offensively this year, but defense is where that team is going to suffer. But if there is ever a team that was built for guys that expend a lot more energy on defense and are better defenders than they are scorers, um, Jaron Jackson Jr. and Evan Mobley um, are two players that come to mind. Boy, if there was ever a team built for a dedicated defender, the difference being now, you know, I'm going to say this, and this is no knock against someone who has been in top defensive standings there uh, for multiple years. Rudy Gobert, Rudy Gobert is to defense what players like Nikola Jokic are when you think about players that um, are in a top performing capacity, you know, able to score. Nikola is in the top 50 there. He is a center um, there, uh, but he's not in the top 10 when it comes down to, I think Nikola is in the top 20 as far as defensive players. I know he's certainly in the top 30 there in defensive players, but uh, or players who are who are uh, who are uh, great defenders here this year. So, you know, I'm not going to sit up here and say that Denver, because they don't have the same you know defensive players that Memphis has, that that puts them in any sort of uh, you know poor position. Once again, this is Denver's year, man. Uh, Denver being statistically one of the better teams in the league, having three players in the top 50 and defenders in the league, having a prohibitive multiple MVP winning player on their team in Nikola Jokic. That team, it has to win. There, There is no other. Now, I know they, we talk about teams like the Suns and, and stuff. We'll get to them. They're in the next bracket. The Suns, Lakers, and Mavericks are in our next bracket. We will get to them, but we've got to close out here with the best of the West right now. It's Denver's year. There isn't a, a scenario where if Denver doesn't make it to the Western Conference Finals and then make it to the, and I'm sorry, win, out the, win the Western Conference and then make it to the finals. It is a busted year for Denver. Um, it is a successful year for some of their players individually in their individual professional attainment here against the talent in the league. But Denver doing anything less then making the conference finals and then making the, the, the NBA finals. It's a busted season for all it's worth and all that effort. So let's get to the next. Uh, and, 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 and really, um, like I said, the Kings, they need, they need a talented defender to come in there. I can't say that they need a superstar. I don't think the, the, the Kings need a superstar. For example, Kevin Durant on the Kings translates to having a top 50 defender. Number one, it does. Kevin Durant's, uh, Kevin Durant and Joel Embiid are about the same when it comes to blocks. They ones that they're both floating, floating in the two block territory. I think one's 1 1.5, 1.6 blocks respectively, which means they have a couple games where they have multiple blocks there. So Kevin Durant coming to your team as a defender, it is a plus. And also his offensive production, which is why we're even looking at the Suns, right? And being a team uh, because of the offensive output, what it means to have a Devin Booker and a Kevin Durant pairing um, there. Um, so, I, you know, I'd like to say I can't say that the Kings are, are one of those teams that, man, they need a superstar. They don't need a superstar. They do need some defensive presence, maybe even having 
a uh, uh, some guards there like like uh, SGA, um, uh, who who's great defensively. I think SGA gets about a little over a block a game um, there. So having uh, some 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 premier defenders there on the wings uh, or or at least at, at the guard position where you're having to stop when you're out west and you're talking about having to stop Dame Lillard, Steph from scoring. Uh, SGA from scoring. We talk about having that task of doing that. And also Paul George and Kawhi Leonard, you know, between guards and forwards, you're going to need guys that can stop people like that. And then, of course, you move that conversation out to having to stop um, where you're having to stop LeBron, where you're having to stop Anthony Davis, who doesn't like to play at a true big uh, when it comes down to playing at that center position, likes to move around. So when you're talking about having to stop guys like that from scoring, you need to have the commensurate defenders. And like I said, a pickup like SGA, if it's somehow able to happen, I don't know how him and Fox are able to um, coexist. But I think when you, if you add some 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 premier defenders, uh, Demonis Sabonis produces a lot in assists. He's the second. Uh, assist producing player on the Kings, which tells me that he's a good facilitator. Um, he's tall enough to play center in the league, especially when we talk about small ball orientation. I think he's 6'11, 6'10. So he's tall enough to play the position. I just don't think that he, with the production he has on assists, that, you know, I don't want to call him a poor man's Nikola Jokic because that's not what he is. I think he's much better served at being able to move to a power forward position. And like that's why we mentioned having a guy like Jaron Jackson Jr. or even Evan Mobley. You bring those guys to the team. Some guys are a little bit better defenders than what you're getting out of the Kings right now. That turns that team from being on the outskirts of, of, of knocking on the door at a deep playoff run to having some more peace in place to do that. So good luck to the Kings. Wish them the best. They'll, they're in the playoffs, second best team in the West. Once again, between them and Denver. Denver is a team where there's much ado about something, and that's something being that they do have three players in the top 50. They do have prohibitive MVP there, so they have that going for them. And they do have the fact that there are some injuries to some of the other teams, some chemistry issues with some of the, some of the other teams when it comes down to uh, Mavericks there. Um, so let's get to our next bracket there at the teams that are standing in need of a breakthrough. And that breakthrough with um, actually all the teams really are injuries of old and injuries of late and such recent freak things where you're like, man, you know, is there any other thing that can happen to a team injury wise that can really, you know, uh, uh, spoil the Kool-Aid, man? It's like, you know, having an expectation of being thirsty and if somebody has some Kool-Aid. And it's not sweet enough. It's not, there's no flavor, no nothing. It's just like non-flavored colored water at that point, right? So, so excuse me. So it's like the Suns, Lakers, Mavs, and we'll even put Golden State in that territory also, that these teams are standing in need of a breakthrough. Breakthrough being, being health for the Suns team. They have... Two players in their starting rotation, at least in their key rotation, between Chris Paul and Kevin Durant and even Devin Booker now, 
who faced some injury issues when you're talking about playing in the postseason, having, you know, a higher level of play and still having to be, be beholden to the possibility of playing at least a quarter of a season. If you're going to be a team that's going to win out in four or five games, you know, uh, maybe have some a couple, you know, either some gentleman sweeps in there or something where, like I said, you make by the time you make it to the finals and you're looking at playing about another quarter of a season. So that can be hard on anyone, even if you're a professional athlete, you're putting your body in positions that your body, you know, outside of being able to fight a war or being physically active or having your brain capacity to handle 12 miles of walking in a day, you know, that physical activity is not something that your body is meant to do in those movements that they are doing. Those are Olympian and, and, and very twitchy motion movements that if you're one of those same people in relative physical shape, great shape, and you are, for example, a machinist, you know, you're six foot six, 240 pounds of lean muscle, and you're working as a machinist, your body is going to hold up a little bit differently than someone who is, if you're in the NFL, putting your body through, you know, car crashes every few plays or not, or, or at least when it comes down to NBA doing movements that your body's not called on to do in any other physical capacity. Like if you are a chef, for example, there will probably be less of a time if you're a six foot six, six foot seven, seven chef where you're having to jump uh, uh, to reach things on a 10 foot shelf um, repetitively throughout the your, your shift or throughout your day. That's probably not going to happen to you, even if you're in a, a pretty good shape as a chef. So these so these players are putting their bodies through stuff that on a normal, like in a normal capacity, take them the same person in a different circumstance, you know, outside of having something where they're having a great deal of physical exertion uh, that they wouldn't have to, they wouldn't be thinking about suffering or, or be beholden suffering these injuries like you see in Kevin Durant uh, with LeBron James, Anthony Davis, Kyrie, and now Luca here this year. Luca's had some time out a couple times out for some soreness. Uh, he's got the thigh concern there going into once again a postseason where health and, 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 and injury, man, those are some things that we, I mean, we, I know we have some great stories when it comes down to Dirk Nowinski and Michael Jordan, you know, playing flu games and such, or, or playing under the weather, um, you know, players who may have faced some personal loss in their life, rising to some performance in the postseason, like our sports history is full of those instances, but man, um, even Golden State with the injuries to Steph and his availability this year have affected that team's ability to um, really be as competitive as they as they could. And then we know they also have, you know, outside of injuries and when they're talking about some of the stuff that happened early on in the season in their locker room, there is nothing that will really, uh, really bring to light the urgency of of locker room cohesion things like player unavailability or availability thereof. Uh, Steph and Clay, uh, Steph and Draymond and, and two Clay. There's been the, the, some of their lineup has been out for uh, you know rotational reasons due to you know soreness and injury, and that's what's going to happen. And then even when we pull out of this group, the Suns, we know, like I said, with the healthy KD. 
healthy Devin Booker and a Chris Paul that hopefully if he's able to stay well, that team is just as competitive in a five, six, seven game series as any team um, there. Once again, when it comes down to availability, you know, some of the other performance things besides scoring and having superstar talent are what's going to determine um, team's efficiency or effectiveness in the playoffs there. And Golden State, with having perennial defenders there, um, they're always in contention, right? But with an aging team, you know, as as we look at the Kings, the Kings are a current team. The Golden State Warriors, in relation to you know where they are at in their players' development and their players' ages and such, you can look at the Warriors as as being the once but not future kings. They were once the kings. Golden State was very much the Sacramento Kings, had some young talent. Um, clearly, you can see they're talented and coming together, able to play. Um, they were untested as far as maturity with, you know, still having to compete with some uh, mature and veteran Spurs teams. Uh, the uh, the teams of, of the Oklahoma City Thunder, which uh, featured Russell Westbrook and Kevin Durant, Serge Ibaka, Steven Adams, those uh, teams there, um, they were still quite, and even to some degree, the Clippers teams with Chris Paul and Blake Griffin and those, those players there, those are still some really hard teams. And even, even still a, a Houston Rockets team that had a, had James Harden um, there. So, and then Chris Paul later on. So then certainly there have been some, the, the, the Golden State Warriors four championships, um, their uh, their story here as being as as forging a dyna, a dynastic culture uh, there in Golden State. There, I mean, for the Warriors, I shouldn't say they're in Golden State, but uh, they're for the Warriors. Um, it's it's just one of those things where the our ability to see uh, the Golden State Warriors be a team that with some of the up-and-coming talent around the league. Uh, they're not in the same spot they were even with those championships when they had Kevin Durant and then before having Kevin Durant and such. Um, and even the, uh, the the two they have with him and then the, the fourth that they have without him um, there and, and having the other pieces like Wiggins and Kaminga and Jordan Poole and some of these other players. Um, Golden State, as far as being in that, uh, in the teams that are standing in need, of, in need of a breakthrough, they need a healthy team. They need a cohesive team. They need a team that's free of some of the distractions which we've been privy to of that team this season in order for them to defend their, champ, their reigning cha- championship here. In order for the Warriors to do that, they're going to need some stuff outside of the basketball statistical driven things to help that team over the hump of competition here. Um, do I see the Golden State Warriors in a five, six, seven game series being able to beat the Kings? Yes. And it's not because they're just that much better of a team. They do have better defenders than the Kings. They do have veteran talent that knows 
you know, when they're having to rely on each other. This is all cohesion and playability stuff with Golden State. Golden State makes it and they get a chance to play against potentially a team, depending on how the Lakers and Clippers and, and, and Mavs, uh, Mavericks here, how those teams finish the season here, and even Pelicans to some degree. Uh, depending on how those teams finish, we could see something where we have a Kings versus um, Warriors battle there, and even the Grizzlies there, whatever happens with the Grizzlies um, also. But you could see where Sacramento as being a team with high that, that, that high scoring there in the West where they face a team like Golden State where they where, where defensively they're kind of outmatched and where you can see that come into place and then see some of those other playability features that aren't so much stat-driven really come to play. Uh, the Lakers, man, you know, I'm going to say this. I'm telling you, we said this a couple weeks ago. We're going to stand by this. Should the Lakers secure the eighth seed, secure it um, where, or even secure the seventh seed? And it's the Lakers as opposed to Golden State facing the Kings with having defenders in LeBron James and Anthony Davis and then some of the talent that they added here recently to the team. I'm not going to sit up here and tell you once again, the teams here and the standing in need of a breakthrough, it is so much less of the basketball numbers driven stuff or the basketball driven superstar stuff that's really going to dictate how these teams perform in the playoffs. It is going to be, you know, the matchup they get. And right now for any of the defensive teams, facing a team like the Kings is good for you. Because if you have some scoring talent like the Lakers do have when they're playing and they've got guys available, the Lakers in a five, six, seven game series should be the favorites against a team like the Kings. Now, the only matchup here where for, for the Lakers, where it may not be as clear cut because also of the defensive presence on the other team, I think this year, a first round matchup, Nuggets against Lakers, is going to be far more competitive for the Nuggets, being that they have players at different points in their careers than what the Lakers have in aging players and players prone to injury who are key players for that Lakers team. So that's why I'm saying that I'm looking at that matchup to be very telling of a few things. Number one, how does Nikola Jokic translate his regular season performance into a win against a key matchup in the playoffs. That's what I, that's what I really would like to see here. You know, I'm not going to sit up here and tell you that I still feel confident that Golden State in a matchup against the Nuggets, for example, or even this, let's say the likelihood that the Dallas Mavericks fall to an eighth seed or something like that, have to have a play-in game or two if they're able to win. For me, the Nuggets-Mavericks matchup is far more favorable for the Nuggets to build off of 
to have that Nikola Jokic playability translate because now Nikola and that Nuggets team has to face Kyrie and Luka, who, whose scoring prowess immediately puts them into a conversation with at least being able to win a series in the playoffs. Luka and that Mavericks team, Sam Spencer Dinwiddie now, was able to at least make it to the Western Conference Finals last year. And so with those two teams, Dallas and Golden State respectively, being in the team standing in need of a breakthrough and more for player availability reasons than solely, you know, superstars or superstars, player to player, that Mavs Nuggets matchup, far more favorable for the Nuggets. The Nuggets should win that. I'm going to sit up here and tell you that. As much as I'm high on Luka's playability and, and his success and, 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 and seeing Kyrie Irving as a player that can add offensive value to your team, I am not, as a sports content creator, aspiring sports journalist, going to sit up here and tell you that I believe for a certainty that a Dallas Mavericks and Denver Nuggets matchup should not be favorable for the prohibitive MVP's team. I'm telling you this. I'm saying this here. Denver Nuggets... If they get the Dallas Mavericks in the first in the in the, in a in the matchup first in the in the playoffs as their first series, the Denver Nuggets are going to win that matchup. I'm just not confident, like I said, in the Kings' ability. The Kings and Suns would be a good matchup uh, if that's somehow, or even depending on how where the chips fall, Kings Clippers good matchup. The edge should go to the Clippers with having Paul George and Kawhi Leonard as being um, some of your better defenders in the league. And whatever happens with Russell Westbrook, his talent level, that's a good matchup for the playoffs. I call that one Clippers because of Paul George and Kawhi Leonard. Now, what we could see, like I said, you know, I'm not, I'm not high on the Jazz in the playoffs right now. Jazz Kings would be a great matchup for the Kings to be able to see how that roster is able to perform in the playoffs against a team that they are more alike than not. It would be, it would be just like watching the Grizzlies and the Timberwolves. It would be just like watching, uh, watching that, uh, for sure. Um, or, or, I'm sorry, it'd be like watching, yeah, it'd be like watching the Grizzlies and Timberwolves play. Yeah, absolutely it would. Um, or even the Grizzlies and Pelicans play, uh, play a series. It'd be two teams where eh, they're, you know, sort of a mirroring each other um, when it comes down to upward trajectory. I won't say that that'll be a fun, it'll be fun for Sacramento Kings fans to watch. Series like that, Kings v. Clippers or Kings uh, v. Jazz, if that were a possibility of happening, or even Kings Suns. Those would be three really interesting matchups. Once again, I, I don't give it to the Kings in anything other than a matchup with the Jazz somehow. I give them a shooter's chance, a player's chance, if they face a team like the Clippers and were able to beat that team. I am not convinced 
that a matchup like Mavs Kings, and that would be a good matchup for that would be a good matchup for the Mavericks for that duo of Luka Doncic and Kyrie Irving to come together and get a playoff series win. So those are you know the teams that are standing in need of a breakthrough. Once again, it's not in need of a breakthrough for basketball reasons outside of player availability. And then lastly, <laughs> lastly we have there. Uh, the brand new heavies, uh, the brand new heavies, the sole team that I have out there in the West, uh, because I really wanted to sort of pull out that information outside of some of the recent news that has happened there with the Memphis Grizzlies uh, star player, John Morant, and his off the court issues, which have translated and once again into a player availability. The reason why I didn't have the Grizzlies in that standing in need of a breakthrough is because the Grizzlies are, for all intents and purposes, the brand new heavies. They truly are. Um, they are the new bad boy team. And then you grow that conversation out from there of the NBA and of certainly of the Western Conference. Uh, because they don't really have rivalries. They do have, uh, the Grizzlies have... The Grizzlies have a rogues gallery. Just like some of the superheroes of teams that because of situations between player to player, like between Dylan Brooks and, and this is even before this, between Dylan Brooks and Draymond Green, player for player, one being the new version of the other, the, one, the other one being a more mature or older version of the other. The Golden State Warriors and Memphis Grizzlies have, they have a Rose Galleries, a Rose Gallery association with each, with each other, with them both fulfilling roles on each other's rogues galleries, where in Memphis rogues gallery, it is definitely Golden State there, and the same for Golden State, the Grizzlies are in their rogues gallery. The Grizzlies, the reason why, the reason why I say they're the new bad boys, because when you think about the bad boy Pistons, either iteration between having old school Isaiah Thomas, Bill Lambert, Dennis Rodman, uh, Joe Dumars, and and, uh, and Doc Rivers, uh, you go to even the newer iteration of that with having Ben Wallace and Rasheed Wallace, the defensive personalities on the uh, Pistons team that won in the 2000s. Really, because uh, Memphis offensively, beyond John Morant, I mean, they do have players that average 14, 15 you know, points a game. It's their defense. It's the Grizzlies' defense that nets them some attention and focus. Um, they have, like I said, four players, man. Four players in the top 10 defensive players in the league with Jaron Jackson being, the, being number one, Desmond Bain being number two, Dylan Brooks being the seventh best defender in the league, and John Morant, the ninth. Guys, there's something to be said with having... People in your starting lineup, or at least one of your better starting rotations and starting rosters of players, certainly. Steven Adams being considered, and he's also in the top 50, guys. So they've got literally five players in the top 50, four players in the top 10 defensive players in the league. This Memphis team, if they're able to translate their personality into performance 
The Memphis Grizzlies. This is the best version of grit and grime that the Memphis, we talk about, okay, what's their identity? Is this something new for them? No, having a gritty grit and grind was the Grizzlies' identity with Mark Gasol. Um, um, uh, there, uh, uh, my goodness, I can't believe that I'm forgetting the guy, this guy. <laughs> oh, man, for, um, I'm going to have to come back to that one there. Um, but that they, they, they built that ro- uh, reputation based off of that. Off of grit and grind and having the uh, ability there. Oh, yeah, uh, Zach Randolph, man. Zero, man. I don't know how I forgot Zach Randolph. And no, I didn't have to look that up. Just needed a couple minutes uh, minutes of total memory recall there. Yeah, with, with Mark Gasol and Zero, man, uh, that grit and grind because it was grit and grind because they were a, you know, a scrappy defensive team um, and that they, you know, made their plays still low on the post between Zero and Mark Gasol. So, and even in, you know, in this iteration of shooters and things, the emergence of Golden State on the scene with their shooters. And of course, competing in the West when you have a team, when you're competing against uh, Dirk Nowitzki and you still have at that point a competitive Spurs team helmed by Tim Duncan and, and Tony Parker. Um, that's, a, that's a lot to go through uh, when it comes down to competition. So, this is the best version of that Memphis Grizzlies team identity of grit and grind. It true. This is the best version of it. Hands down, it is. Even with some of those uh, teams of legacy being considered, uh, the Grizzlies just have to train. And like I say, the, the reason why it's, it's one of those things to where, you know, uh, the old, uh, the old adage on a player like Art Shell, for example, that you, determine Art Shell's performance as an offensive lineman against how well the other team's best defender, defensive lineman or even linebacker or such, how they did not perform, told you how good Art Shell was in a game. The same can be said for the personality and the ego aspects of the NBA. Players like Dennis Rodman, for example, who widely regarded for their playability, for their prowess on defense or ability to track down or get into the heads of opposing, you know, some of the better players on opposing teams. Dennis Rodman had a way through his play to get into someone's head. There's the famous times where between him and Alonzo Mourning, you know, Alonzo, I won't say getting unnerved, but certainly you could tell Dennis Rodman getting under his skin. And even in the old bad boy piston days of Dennis Rodman's presence, you know, even having Michael Jordan, Scottie Pippen and, and players like that having to think about how they're going to, you know, be handled on defense, then having people in that capacity is different. Even looking at Draymond Green, I mean, for real, it's almost like watching wrestling, right? And you have where you have the upcoming talent and you have the older talent, you know, championship guys that have won belts or, you know, household names and such. And you have the new, up, new upcoming talent. And this new upcoming talent seems to not have a reference for the old guard. You know, that's what's going on between Dylan Brooks and Draymond Green. And it is needed for the competitive nature of basketball and also for a changing of the guard. Because honestly, Draymond Green is only going to be Draymond Green for, you know, as long as that's able to be possible. And when you talk about players aging and things, Dylan Brooks 
is the newer version of Draymond Green. You could say not as great of a player as Draymond Green, but when you're talking about that, what you're talking about are the intangibles that we've seen Draymond bring to the Golden State Warriors, and we've seen that translate into a winning way in the postseason against marquee talent, where you're talking about having to play against LeBron and beat LeBron James. When Draymond Green was suspended for a game, um, there are, you know, uh, uh, well-regarded analysts and commentators as such who will tell you that Draymond's absence changed the changed the whole dynamic of that playoff series. When you have a player like that, the only other player that I've seen where in recent times where their presence and their playability, at least for a game, uh, where you could really see where their presence lifted a team and, and, and produced at least a win or a more competitive series was Serge Ibaka, and and uh, and I forget what year it was may have been 2013 2014 or 2012 what no I believe it was 2013 2014 where his availability and I believe that was 2014 I think that was the last iteration of the of, of the championship winning Spurs where even though the Spurs won the series when Serge Ibaka came back his defensive playability and his presence Change the change the complexity of at least one game in the series, and and so player to player situation situation. Draymond being suspended um, due to his, um, you know, due to his personality. Um, we could say that that changed the trajectory of that finals where we saw uh, LeBron. Uh, LeBron and Kyrie uh, and Tristan Thompson and, and some of the others, J.R. Smith, uh, where we saw those guys uh, were able to win a championship against a really great Golden State team. So I'm not going to sit up here and sort of just reiterate uh, the all-time great player Draymond Green's position that Dylan Brooks is not, you know, is, is an idiot or, or the other language that was used there. Um, all I would say is that Dylan Brooks has been successful at navigating the competition in the West. This guy is the seventh best defender in the league right now. He's got two other of his castmates, roster mates there. Jaron Jackson, if there was ever a player who you could say, now that person is the epitome of defensive presence, either for a team or as a player in the league. If Jaron Jackson is able to, I mean, tra transform his game, I'm not saying into being, being a dual, dual threat. For me, Jaron Jackson is better than Rudy Gobert. And even though Rudy Gobert is a perennial now defensive presence in the league, that's more because of his height and his expenditure on, 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 on energy for defense. But I cannot tell you when we mentioned, you know, players that the Kings would really need. Rudy Gobert needs to be a better scorer 
than what he is to translate to being a use to a team like the Kings. But Jaron Jackson, if he's able to find a, a an offensive identity to go alongside his strong defensive presence, Jaron Jackson would arguably be one of the best um, marauders or hired guns or whatever, you know, even though he's still, he's not, you know, somebody has been to multiple teams. But between him, Evan Mobley, um, Mitchell Robinson, some other uh, players that I'm thinking about as being centers, uh, man, if he's able to, and like I said, sometimes, I mean, uh, what was his name? Brad Darty. Um, you know, uh, being able to, you know, be a defensive player of the year and such. Um, or Sean Bradley, I think. I can't remember which between the two of them had uh, has the most blocks, uh, average the most blocks in the season. I'll have to look that up. But um, really, uh, you, you, Jaron Jackson is a better is a better defensive presence than Rudy Gobert at least right now in his youth. Uh, I think that Rudy Gobert, if he were on a team like the Phoenix Suns in a rotation with Devin Booker and Kevin Durant, I think that he would translate into a better defensive presence than what DeAndre Ayton has for a team like the Suns, but I can't tell you that if Rudy Gobert goes to a team like the Mavericks, which actually, that's what I'm saying. I like Jaron Jackson in that situation. Jaron Jackson, Luka Doncic, and Kyrie Irving. Now that rotation screams, okay, we know who the shot blocker is. Kyrie Irving, I believe he is in the top 50 in defenders. He does defend uh, a, a decent. So, um, I can't sit up here and tell you that um, that a defensive presence like, or even like I say, or even Evan Mobley. Evan Mobley would be a great pickup for a team like the Suns or even a team like, uh, uh, um, like the Mavericks. I mean, he gives you uh, a little, little less than 20 points a game. He gives you a defensive presence. Um I don't think that, uh, like Pascal Siakam, for example, Pascal on a team like the Mavericks or Pascal, because honestly, like I said, we because we're talking about the Grizzlies and there's really not much else that you're able to really say. I mean, they have John Morant. They have great defenders. They just need to translate that bravado over into playability uh, in the playoffs. They have the defense to do it. That much is for certain. Offensively, they need to improve their shot taking. I think Jaron Jackson takes way too many outside shots for his apparent skill level. I wouldn't feel any more comfortable about Rudy Gobert taking a three than I feel about um, Jaron Jackson Jr. taking threes there. So... You know, outside of having Ja, they need someone who has some offense and some defensive presence. Um, and like I say, when you think about, you know, 
players that would fit in nicely there. A player like KD, like it was crazy, man. How much of a Swiss Army knife Kevin Durant is. You put Kevin Durant into most situations. It's not simply that he makes a team better because of his shot making ability or his offensive efficiency. Kevin Durant is that dude. He's a nice player, man. All around player improves your defense, drastically improves your offense. I'm not sure what the likelihood of attracting a player like um, like a KD, you know, um, and honestly, I would say this, someone like Donovan Mitchell would be great for the Grizzlies. I think a big like Joel Embiid, uh, Brooke Lopez is too long in the tooth in his career to come to a team like Memphis and have the same sort of presence that he's able to have on a team like the Bucks, but they need one. Of, they need a small forward, even someone like Kawhi Leonard on the Memphis Grizzlies. It, I think, and I think that works out well for someone like Kawhi. Like seriously, and that I mean, I think honestly, as things progress in the league, as contract situations progress, that would be a good get. For the Grizzlies, if they're able to somehow pull that off, um, I'm not sure what the likelihood of having Anthony Davis on the Grizzlies, even though I would say Anthony Davis on the Grizzlies, that translates into a team that should be able to go deep in the playoffs. But they need a couple more offensive pieces than just one fulcrum. Like, I'm not going to sit up here and say you put Anthony Davis on the Grizzlies that his injury availability is going to be anything different. I, I, but I think that the Grizzlies do need someone else with an offensive presence to really round out that roster. They need someone at a small forward, um, small forward, uh, 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 even an, an alternate big, like a small forward, power forward, that's, and that's why I mentioned Anthony Davis, because I think that, you know, when we talk about, you know, things come up on the horizon and what would make sense for a player of his age, I, I think that's it, man. Uh, or, or unless if the Grizzlies can get someone like a Pascal Siakam offensively for that team, that that works. But and, and like I said, I'm not going to sit up here and say that I think that there's a problem with their facilitation as much as availability of people to facilitate too. Even if there were something, um, even like a LaMelo, I think LaMelo on a team like the Grizzlies for facilitation purposes, uh, coupled with uh, a, a, an acquisition like an Anthony Davis, that should net that team, honestly, being able to make a finals appearance, whether it be Western Conference final, NBA finals appearance, um, so that's our teams out of the West. Once again, we didn't really cover the Clippers this week in any detail because, to be honest, they don't really fit. Um, they don't really fit in one of the brackets. They don't fit as a team standing in need of a breakthrough. Like, I'm not of the volition of the thinking that the Clippers are, you know, they just, they the Clippers are, are, are a team um, sold just as is. That's what we'll cover on the Clippers. There's not one other thing that you can say at this and they should be able to do this 
They just are sold just as is. If they're going to make it, it's based off of what, the, the, what they have. And I know you can say that, well, well, you can say that about some of the other teams. Ah. As far as injury and availability, the Clippers, with their uh, load management, have done good at mitigating that, I will say. Okay, so that's been successful. That's why I say their team sold just as is. I can't say add some more spice to them that makes them more something. I can't say that they have an issue with availability as much as, like I say, they have load management. They have a uh, a renowned at this point, or at least a an oft-cited load management situation on the Clippers that has kept their stars, their two star players, in a position where they haven't missed significant time where that's affected that team's playoff. They're in the playoffs is what the Clippers are. That's like I said, so they're sold just as is. Uh, I'm not too low on them. I'm not too high on them. I would say that, you know, matchups matter. And that's why I mentioned a matchup for the Clippers against the Kings would be better for the Kings as far as playoff experience. Once again, because of the defense, man, I'm because of the defense and because that team is so young to making it, throwing its weight around in the West, that I say that they are a defensive presence, a defensive player, another couple rotational pieces away from being a complete enough team. Like if I take a look at Golden State, and that's why I mentioned Golden State as being the once but not future Kings, is that the Kings, you know, if this were the once and future King book and it was Golden State, being a successful team and reaching back and mentoring the Kings because somehow the Kings were in the future going to translate to the same team the Golden State Warriors are or were or will be. The Warriors were a coach and some rotational pieces away from being able to rise out the West and then to build something. I think the Grizzlies are closer to being a team that should. That's why we called them the brand new heavies. The Kings are one of the two teams that are best in the West. It's just Memphis. They are the heavy team. They are a defensively heavy team. They are the heavy bravado team. They are a team that uh, when it comes down to matchups, once again, it, man, matchups, Grizzlies, Kings, Kings, Clippers, these are matchups, like I say, that should go to the, I mean, the Grizzlies are returning uh, a, a presence in the playoffs. They have a perennial star in John Morant. The Grizzlies should win a series against the Kings. I am just not sold because of the offensive production that the Kings do have. Once again, these Kings, Grizzlies, Kings, uh, Clippers, um, Kings, Mavericks, these are all King Suns. These are all great matchups for a uh, for you know teams like the Suns, Mavericks, and such, where they where their talent, where they should be able to you know to to compete can compete to win. But it's just good to see what the Kings can do. Let, let's see what this what this team can do in a series. Um, there, so that's the time we have. Uh, that's how the West, as we are taking it right now, was won. Uh, one at least here who's going to end up winning is going to be one of those six, seven, eight teams um, there that we mentioned. I'm not 
I'm not going to sit up here and say uh, that I feel that the Pelicans and Jazz are sleepers. I don't call the Kings such a sleeper as much as, once again, they are a, a the rising Skywalkers. They are new hope. So let's see what happens here. Once again, we have our cubic zirconia ball, which has told us that the Lakers, if they're able to um, uh, get a matchup like the Nuggets and win, that honestly that puts the the west sort of like like that's what we say denver doing anything that's our cuban zirconia ball you know we shook our cuban zirconia crystal ball we you know we 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 looked at it we looked deeply into its into its um not so opaque <laughs> nature there and uh we we came up with denver should win Dem if denver goes out first second round for whatever reason and Golden State is still a team that's in there. Golden State has very much of a chance of at least defending that title. I just don't feel like they are the best team going into the playoffs. Once again, the best team should be the team with the prohibitive league's MVP. That is honestly what I'm sticking behind, not just because it's safe and easy. It's just based off of the situations here in the West. I got... Too many teams that are standing in need of a breakthrough where I'm looking at availability and injury being things that could derail one of those other teams. So that, that, that's why we're looking at Denver. It should be Denver. Like, like we're using some of our, you know, our mutant, you know, clairvoyant abilities to sort of see what are the um, you know, what are the likely scenarios? And that's the only one that I can come up with outside of Golden State. I'm not sold on the Lakers' availability for their stars, for their key players in a playoff setting in a series as opposed to regular season with being able to play another nearly quarter of a season. So that's why I'm going, I'm, I'm going with Denver Nuggets are the best pick Golden State is my sleeper pick for the West. Golden State are my sleepers. Well, that's all the time we have for today. Next week, we're going to take a look. We're going to use that, that same cubic zirconia ball, uh, crystal ball. We're going to use, use some of that same stuff. Take a look at the East and, and, and see who should be the favorites out of the East. And then uh, as we get into the playoffs uh, here, getting into the playoffs, we'll see you know, where teams are. We probably won't do a finals preview until the play ends are done and the rest of the NBA bracketology has been figured out because once again, it's going to depend on those matchups. Once again, I do believe that the Lakers have a shot at beating Denver early on. Should they match up one and eight against Denver or, or two and seven against the Kings? Those are series that early on, I believe the Lakers can win. I'm just not sold they can make a deep run, but I am sold that if Golden State can get their playability issues um, together, if they can have that breakthrough that we're saying that they're standing in need of, that Golden State um, should be able to compete uh, 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 you know, late into the playoffs. And the Suns and Mavericks are in about the same position, depending on who they match up against, if they matchup against each other. I'm going to give that series to the Suns. Uh, Mavericks have an outside shot, depending on how well Luka, uh, outside shot that is to beat a team like the Suns. 
Um, depending on how Luca and Kyrie's playability comes together, that's the show. Thank you all for listening. Please listen, share, and we'll be back next week. Y'all be safe.